Dalet. Dalet. Move, hang, entrance, door. I am laid low in the dust. Observe my life according to your word. I recounted my ways, and, ans and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teachings of your precepts, and I will meditate on your words. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your law. I hold fast to your statutes. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. All right. Okay, and I had some prayer requests, and I did not write them down. So I oh, let's just go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to uh, lift up anybody that is having their trials and their uh, losses, their difficulties. Lord, you know them, even though I did not write any down today. And uh, you know all of the people that are suffering and that uh, have asked for prayer. And so we do lift them up. And Lord, we ask you also for uh, wisdom in this class that we would properly tend your word, not to get misdirected or to say something which is incorrect, which we'll later regret. And Lord, we thank you for the rain you've been giving us over the past few days. It's been pretty wonderful. And we thank you for that. And we just, we love you. We exalt you. You are so very good to us. And we just commit this class to you. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, it appears... I'm not going to read this day in Christian history today, and the reason why is uh, it appears that I got my last Table Talk magazine last month. I haven't gotten a new one, and yeah, usually I get them 10 days before the end of the month. And so I thought I'd go through a couple points because I always highlight these, and you've heard it a million times, but you may not be hearing it anymore. I do have one more Table Talk, which I never read. I don't know how that happened, but I found it yesterday, and so maybe I'll read that over the next 30 days. Why is it but The what? Is well, because... I didn't renew the subscription years ago, and they've just been sending it to me. And really? Yeah. And so I wouldn't... Well, he's passed away. He, well, he's passed away, but they still put it out. The, church, the ministry is still open and everything, so it doesn't matter. I mean, somebody else is writing the commentaries. But uh, Burke Parsons, the guy that used to be in the uh, Backstreet, Backstreet Boys, he writes these commentaries. Oh, really? So, yeah. And now he's also writing the opening commentaries. But He probably watched Prophecy Update and saw you. Uh, I doubt that. <laughs> I highly doubt that. Um, anyway, so here's what we have from two things from the... Uh, Table Talk magazine, which are just, they're ridiculous. And like I said, I've said this before, you've heard it, but you're not going to be hearing it anymore. So let me go back. I'm not going to read the whole thing. This is the promise of the helper. Obviously, the helper is the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to go down just a little bit, uh, just so you understand what this Reformed theology or this Calvinist thinking teaches. <clears throat> just start in the middle of a paragraph. However, that is not what Jesus meant. He was speaking of the realities of the Christian life, not consequences in a strict sense. In other words, and this is what I underlined so that you'll understand. He was saying that believers love God, keep his commandments, and receive the Spirit. In fact, we are to speak of consequences at all. The giving of the Spirit must come first. For we must be reborn by the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And the Spirit gives us the love of God in our hearts. So he's saying that we receive the Spirit before we're saved. 
Okay, everybody got that? Now, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 is completely contradictory to that. It says, in whom also you having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So that's completely contrary to it. But they that's have to... Yeah, that's not what he meant. Um, but they, they have to teach this in order to come to their conclusion that we cannot choose Jesus Christ. They will not accept the, the doctrine of free will. And so the only way that they can handle the Bible or mishandle it is to say that the Spirit first saves you, you are reborn, and then you believe in Jesus. So I'm going to read you a whole commentary now. And then after that, we'll get into the Bible class. Just so you understand what other people think and why it's not correct. All right. God, the Holy Spirit, does many things in the life of the believer. We have seen that he is present among those, uh, among us and within us to give the courage and strength to do the Lord's will. No problem with that. He also gives gifts to the people to create beauty. No problem with that. And we will see in the days ahead, he also gives believers many other spiritual gifts. No problem with that. Before he does any of these things, however, the Spirit makes us Christians. He, he forces us to be Christians, okay? I, I said that. He didn't say. He just says he makes us Christians. In today's passage, we see Paul referring to, and it's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We see Paul referring to the Ephesian believers as formerly dead in trespasses and sins. I brought this up before. I want to see if any of you remember where they're going to go with this. Formerly dead in trespasses and sins, which is Ephesians 2, 1. This we know is the condition that all descendants of Adam, except Jesus Christ, are born into. Does everybody agree with that? We are yes. born dead into trespasses and sins, okay? We inherit our sin nature from our father. Jesus Christ had no human father. He did not inherit a sin nature. So that's correct. And then he goes on. He says, um, uh, Romans 5, 12 through 21 is what he cites. In our natural state, we hate the things of God and want nothing to do with him. Does everybody agree with that? No. I absolutely disagree because there are people all over the world that are pursuing God. Yeah. All over the world. Yeah. They are doing it wrong, but they're pursuing God. Buddhists are looking after God. Muslims are looking after God. Jehovah's Witnesses are looking after God. They're just right. looking at it wrong. Every religion has people searching after God. Right. People write about the beauty of God. They write about how much they yeah. want to know God, etc. And they're not saved Christians. Right. That's completely false. And that is the beginning of their error. They say, um, in our natural state, we hate the things of God. And they take Romans out of context, citing Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 35.1, which says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Well, what is that speaking of? It's speaking of an atheist, someone that says there's no God. People don't do that in Islam. They say there is a God. Okay, so that's a category mistake that they've made there. It goes on. Uh, they say... Uh, uh, we want nothing to do with them. In short, we are in a state of spiritual death. Would everybody agree with that or no? We are in a state of spirit. Okay, we are, and I agree with that. It seems like everybody's shaking their head. And we can do nothing to make ourselves spiritually alive. Would everybody agree with that? I 100% agree with it. We cannot regenerate ourselves. Oh, outside of belief. That's not what I'm saying. He is saying we can do nothing to save ourselves okay and it's true we cannot that we cannot regenerate our spirit we cannot do it the spirit must regenerate our spirit okay so it's it, i'm going to read that again it says um we are in a state of spiritual death and we can do nothing to make ourselves spiritually alive i agree 100 percent. we must first be born again before we can exercise faith that alone saves us so you are born again in order to to believe is what they say. The spirit rebirths you and then you believe, which is absolutely insane, but they have to say that in order to deny free will. 
I'll read it again because you didn't get that. Okay, it says, we must first be born again before we can exercise faith that alone saves us. So they're saying you're born again isn't being saved, which is contrary to what Jesus says in John 3. But they have to say that to deny free will. We'll go on. It says, um, we... Before we are, uh, where was that? Yes, for we cannot even see the kingdom of God, let alone have the desire to enter it before we are reborn spiritually. That's crazy. That's denying the fact that we can do anything with our brain, anything. Because they will say that we have the free will to sin, but then they say we don't have the free will to receive Jesus. So it's completely false. I'll read it again. We must first be born again before we can exercise the faith that alone saves us. For we cannot even see the kingdom of God, let alone have the desire to enter it before we are reborn spiritually. A simple, simpler way of stating this is to say that regeneration precedes faith. God regenerates you. I took you through the duck examples. I gave yes. you the four examples. Yes. One is heresy. The second one, which they teach, is just completely poor doctrine completely poor. The third one is the one that is correct. It's what we would call moderate Calvinism. We believe that the Spirit saves us, but we believe that we must receive Christ, and then the Spirit receives us. God gave us the offer of Jesus Christ, and then everything logically follows after that. No, we call it moderate Calvinism. You've got strong Calvinism, moderate Calvinism, and then you've got hyper-Calvinism, which is the God not only predestines you to be saved, but he also predestines those who will be lost. He forces people into hell. That's a heresy, but we'll go on. Okay, we need to go on. Um, who is the agent of regeneration? Who brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life? We know the answer to both of those. It's the Spirit, okay? John 3, 5, and 6 explains that the Holy Spirit does this work. But this does not mean that the Holy Spirit acts all by himself in regeneration. The external acts of God, that which he does in and for creation, are undivided, so that the Father and the Son are active in the regeneration of sinners as well. Okay, I agree. The Father sent the Son, so he's active in the process of regeneration. The Son is the one that gave his life for our sins. He is active in the process of regeneration. The Spirit accepts us when we believe and we are sealed with him. He is active in the process of regeneration. I agree with that, but I disagree with the order in which they place it. Okay, so we'll go on. It says, um, uh, then they cite, of course, what are they going to cite? They cite it every time they make an argument for this. It is the text verse for Calvinism. John 6, verse 44. John 6, verse 44. I'm going to read it to you so you can see it. This is what they cite, and they cite it every single time. And they say, see, there it is. I'm going to read it, though. I could quote it to you poorly, but I want to read it to you just so that you know that this is what they teach. And we won't have to do this anymore because I'm apparently not getting table talk anymore. So um, John 6, 44 says, um, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So it's impossible for us to come to Christ unless the Father draws us. How does the Father draw us? Through the Spirit, and the Spirit gave us what? That is the context of what John 6, 44 is speaking of. Go back and read chapter 5, and he says, You search the Scriptures because you believe in them, you have eternal life. They are what speak of me. The entire context of what Jesus says up until this point is that 
They're completely out of context. They take that one verse and they cite it. It's like, it's like judge not lest you be judged and people hold it up. It's completely out of context. What does it say in John chapter 12? I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. Does John 12 come after John 6 or before it? Oh, it comes after it. Okay. So even if that was in context, it's obviously answered in the cross of Christ, but it's not in context. So we can take John 6, 44 in their context and throw it out because there is no context. In the proper context, it is saying that the spirit has called these people because it was through the people of Israel and they're rejecting the very oracles that they were maintaining, which told of Christ. Okay, so that is the answer to that verse. When you come across somebody that wants to argue this particular issue, John 6, 44, you have taken it out of context, put it back in its context, and then it will make sense to you. I'll finish this up and we'll be done. You see how angry I get at this, though, because yes. they are teaching these things to people and say, you don't have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe in Jesus. You will not be saved if you don't. Hello. So here we go. It says um, John 6, 44, for example, tells us that the Father draws people to Christ and that no one can come to Christ unless the Father draws him. Well, I just explained that. He did do that in John 5 and all the way back to the book of Genesis. Okay, so here we go. It says um, Ephesians 2.10 explains that we are created in Christ Jesus. Does that negate free will in any no. way, shape, or not at all? It's we're going to take these little words and we're going to stick them out in all by themselves. And we're just going to let people say we're created in Christ Jesus as if it was something that happened before we received Christ when it didn't. Okay, it goes on. Paul is clearly talking about the recreating work of God in that text. So we see that regeneration happens in the Son of God as the Father draws us and the Holy Spirit breathes new life into us. Yes, but not in the order that they say. At all, no way, shape, or form. All three members of the Trinity are active in our regeneration, agreed, but it is worth noting that regeneration is another one of God's external works that especially reveals the Holy Spirit. I don't disagree with that as long as it is after our faith is exercised, okay? Um, it says, but the Spirit stands out in regenerating dead sinners. Correct. What does R.C. Sproul, when he was alive, do with that particular verse? You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. He says, you can't re reanimate yourself. Nobody says we are. Nobody ever said that. The Spirit regenerates us, but it is after we believe. After we are. started off that whole thing here, refuting what, what R.C. Sproul used Absolutely. To say. 100%. We're refuting what he said. And we are not, the, the, here's, here's the category mistake that they make. They say, you are dead in your sins and your trespasses, and therefore you cannot regenerate yourself. Well, we don't regenerate ourselves, the Spirit does. But what they fail to acknowledge, which is the category mistake, is that we are not dead beings. We are alive beings with rational thinking minds, unless you're a Democrat, okay? But if you are a normal thinking human being, you are alive. You are just not spiritually alive. You use your cognitive abilities to say, that is good. I want that. I believe that message and the spirit regenerates so why, you. How do they, who, why does God tap that person and not that person? It, 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 which is contrary to Peter, where he says that God is long-suffering, not wanting that any should, any should perish. Right. So and, there you go. So it, it doesn't. It doesn't. So the so answer is it doesn't. If they believe in that, why bother to send a missionary anywhere? That's what our point is. That's what Jim and I talk about all the time. Why send anybody anywhere? Why tell anybody that they need to go to church? Because you can't thwart the Spirit's will. 
when in fact you must tell somebody about Jesus because here's a perfect example of this over in Africa, right? There's tribes that have never heard of Jesus. Okay. What does God go over and suddenly regenerate somebody that's never heard the word of Jesus? Of course not. Somebody has to go and tell them it must be, it, the word must be proclaimed and it must be received. It must be. God does not regenerate people in order to believe. That is false. That is completely false. Go ahead. Wait. Is this an oversimplification that God created all of us? We are all to be predestined to heaven with our free will and choosing. No, we're not all predestined to heaven. We are all predestined to something. But God knows the choice that we are going to make. The choice is either heaven or it is rejecting Jesus and the other one. Okay. Everybody is predestined. You, if you are going to heaven, we're predestined for heaven. But that was based on God's foreknowledge that you would receive Jesus Christ. That he knows that you would be going. Absolutely. It does. Okay. But that doesn't negate our free will. People say, well, that negates free will. It has nothing to do with free will. God knows everything. Or as God creating everything, everyone. Right. We are created for a chance to be not everybody some people never hear the message of jesus okay. that is why we send missionaries that is why we do the things we do not because god is going to arbitrarily go over to the congo and pull this guy out and say you're regenerated you're going to heaven it doesn't work that way faith comes by hearing, hearing and hearing by word the word of god that is how it happens these people that say oh muslims are having dreams and coming to jesus by the millions i don't believe one of them i've never heard anybody directly say it. it's always i heard this and somebody told me and it, it goes back it goes back it never goes back to a true account it doesn't i don't believe it you must hear the word of jesus christ in order if you disagree and you say people have visions and they come to christ fine believe that that is contrary to what the bible teaches okay i just want you to know okay, that the bible does not say that ever we're not to rely on that we are to rely on the transmission of the message and somebody saying i received that premise and then you are regenerated you receive the holy spirit ephesians 1 13 and 14. it is a gift it is not a force go ahead and then we'll get started yes the, uh, okay matthew mark definitely yes. to israel to Israel, under the law. John, John. John is a melding of it. We'll have to go through that again. I've done it a couple times, but it is a melding of what the ideas of what happened in Israel and what is going to happen in redemptive history with the church and how God is selecting people. It's like the acts of the Gospels. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it, switch. Yeah, it, 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 it is a transition because what's happening is you've got the three Gospels and then you've got the transition into the church age. And then Acts explains how that happened. Acts 1 through 12, Peter, Jews, and then 13 through 28, Paul, Gentiles. And then you've got Jerusalem, you've got Rome, you've got all of these things that keep happening in Acts from 1 to 12 and 13 to 28. It keeps happening to show us that there is a transition going on. John is like that, but it's a gospel transition showing us what will happen in the book of Acts. And then you get to the book of Hebrews, all of a sudden, if you're going to notice in the next few days, if you read these commentaries, you're going to see it speaks about Israel. It speaks about Israel. And if every time you read a commentary and what do they do? They say, you could, let me, let me just read you this so that you're ready for these commentaries. We've got to go on with Romans because that's what we're here for. But let me, um, let me just show you because the gospel, or I'm sorry, the uh, epistles of Paul are the church age epistles. Mm -hmm. That is our marching orders. Hebrews is written to do 
to the Jews. to the Jews, to the Hebrew people. Okay, it does not mean that the truths there do not apply to us, but it is written to the Jews. Now, I'm not going to give you the answer to this. I just want you to think about it. Okay, you got Hebrews, and you get to chapter three, and it says two verses. There's Mrs. Garrett, who's late. <laughs> Never happens. Okay, the first one says um, uh, we're going to go to verse six. But Christ has a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Sounds like you could lose your salvation, doesn't it? If we are his house, if, right? And then you get down, and he kind of repeats it down in verse um, 14. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Right? Sounds like you can lose your salvation. Almost every commentary that you read is going to say you have to persevere in your, your faith. Can anybody here explain why that's not correct? Okay. The answer why it's not correct is because he's speaking to Israel, the collective whole. The word end there is not the end of your life. It is the word telos. It means the consummation of things. The example, just so you understand, because it's very complicated what we're going to go through in the next 10 or 12 days of Hebrews. Israel was in the wilderness. God promised them rest. What is that rest? The land of Canaan. That's where the land of Canaan is, and that is where the kingdom age was going to be consummated at some point. God said to the people of the people of Israel, this is your rest. He says it in Deuteronomy. But it says here that it, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, which is the psalm. Where your fathers tested me and saw me, my works 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation, those people. It's not speaking of individuals, it's speaking of the collective whole. And said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Who wrote that? That was the Psalms. It was David in the Psalms wrote that, and he's referring to this generation. But they were promised the rest, and they did not enter the rest. But guess what? Why didn't they enter that rest? Because of unbelief. Did everybody unbelieve there? No, two people did, Caleb and Joshua, and they entered the land of Canaan, and yet they did not enter God's rest. So it's not speaking of individuals at all, and those are not verses which can be used for loss of salvation. They're speaking of the collective whole. And so in the Psalm, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not Harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. He's speaking to the people of Israel. And then the psalmist picks that up and saying he is assigned another day, calling it today. I told you to check when you read Hebrews, they capitalize today. There's a reason why they do that. It's because today is the day. The Jewish people, this is written back in AD 70, but it's not written to the Jews of AD 70. It's actually written after the church age epistles. That's where it's put in the Bible for a reason. It's speaking to the Jews of the end time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion, okay? Because they did not enter my rest. And what does Jesus say? Well, we'll get to the commentary. Do you understand that he's speaking yeah. of the collective? He is not speaking of individual loss of salvation. Right, right. Yes. Can we generalize to say, using a word, uh, that God created everyone with the potential? Everybody who has the potential to receive so Jesus, not to go to heaven, to receive Jesus. He pursues all. He's he pursues no, all. We all have the potential. Yes, we all have the ability to call on Jesus. Everybody has that ability. But, and he actually says that the God is long-suffering, not wanting that any should perish. But 
the fact is that there are people that are not being evangelized that will never hear that message and they will never get their chance to go to heaven. And that is a stain on the church. That is a stain on the people that are not willing to support missionaries and to put the message out there. That is what that is. That's a stain on us. But everybody has the ability to be saved if they receive the message of Jesus Christ. Okay. That's their choice. I've spoken to a million people. Okay. I told myself a million times not to exaggerate. I've talked to a lot of people about Jesus, right? Some have received the message and some haven't. They had the choice. That's not my job. My job is to tell them. Their job is to say, I, I accept that premise. I believe that God sent Jesus to die for my sins. He died for my sins. He came out of the grave to prove it. I accept Jesus. And from there, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. We all have that ability. Anyway, please, when you're reading the book of Hebrews, remember who the audience is. It is not the Gentiles. It is not individuals. It is the collective whole. And so when it says, if, and we, it's speaking of a group of people, okay? Until he says otherwise. So be very careful reading Hebrews. But if you're not reading that study, go back and start the beginning. Start and then get up to the current uh, daily posting. And you will know more about what is going on. I, I'm telling you, you will love this study. I'm not saying because of my commentaries. I read lots of commentaries and I put them together and I add in my own things. But nobody in the commentaries looks at that as a collective whole. They all look at it individually and right. say, well, you have to persevere. And that's nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. In here in the, uh, oh, yeah. Here. It's like, how long is today? We don't know because we don't know how long we're going to live. We have to. It's like. It has okay. nothing to do with it. Hello. Nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, there are people that are saved that are part of today and they're dead now. Right. There are Hebrew people that believed Peter was a, a believing Hebrew. Right. Mm -hmm. He's dead. Okay. Did he enter God's rest? Individually. Yes, it says it in Hebrews 4.3. Now we who have believed do enter that rest. He has entered his rest. That's not speaking of what is speaking of in chapter 3, though. It's speaking of the collective whole. God's rest is, guess what? The millennial reign of Christ. That is the time of rest on earth when man is not going to work because they're going to be in the presence of God. Just as it says back in Genesis, God created in six days and on the seventh day he rested and man lost that when he was kicked out of the garden of eden and the entire point of what god is doing is to get us back to the point where we are in the presence of god and that happens first in the millennium and then at the end of the millennium satan is let out again and then we go into the eternal state okay but this is what is being spoken up there it is not a verse for loss of salvation so when you see somebody post that on your thing and say, well, see, you have to persevere into the end if you want to be saved. It's not speaking of you. It's not speaking to you. It's not speaking of you. It's speaking of the collective group. We, 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 we. Look at it. It's plural all the way through there. Okay, let's go on. 1418. I didn't mean to divert on that, but that's an important precept, which bears on that right there. Yes. Back up a bit. If, okay. If you will remember when you read predestination, it's for the saved. Right. The word is for the saved people. That's right. Well, everybody's predestined. Everybody's predestined. But the saved people are predestined to salvation. Okay? The people that did not receive Jesus are predestined to go to heck. Okay? That's, that was their choice. Okay? But everybody is predestined in God's mind. Predestination God's means what is, going, what, yeah, what is going to happen to this individual at the end of days, at the time of judgment. And God already knew. Some were predestined for salvation. Some were predestined for not being saved. But that was their personal choice. Abraham believed God and he credited to him for righteousness, meaning God to him. 
Okay, so you're correct. In the terminology of the Bible, predestination is speaking of saved. That is correct. But everybody, in fact, is predestined to something. We're not just going to disappear. We're all predestined to something. But in the terminology of the Bible, what he said is absolutely correct. Predestination is speaking of people that are saved. Okay, but logically, if you're not predestined to be saved, then you're predestined to not be saved. You understand the premise, okay? But what he's saying is correct about the person, okay? So let's fourteen eighteen. Go back to whatever you think is no, appropriate. Right to the beginning of the paragraph. Okay. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. From the kingdom of God, is, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 18. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God, and approved by men. Okay, a little bit different in this. It says, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. You can be pleasing to God and not be acceptable. I mean, you can do the right thing and still not be accepted. So I would prefer this verse, but pleasing to God is fine. I mean, if you're pleasing to God, hopefully it's in the, the sense of completely pleasing. All right, 1418, still building on the entirety of the contents of chapter 14, which is what he's doing, the entirety of the chapter, Paul again begins this verse with what? A preposition. Or, or he, he has because, right? He's starting with the preposition. If you circle them or highlight them or something, you will see the logical progression of what's going on. Okay, this has been one long and continuous stream of points and summaries in order to establish doctrine concerning disputable matters. Food, days of the week. Remember, that's what we've been talking about for the entire chapter. Just saw you walked in and we were doing something. So how are you, Freddie? You doing all right? Yeah. Good. Good. Praise the Lord. Um, uh, Pat and Cindy are not here. I hope they're all right. It's storming out there. And every time it storms, you wonder if somebody got in a fender bender or something. But okay. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, where it was. Oh, disputable matters. It's obviously something of profound importance to him, meaning Paul, <clears throat> and one which begs the question, why? Why has he spent so much time in this, right? And when he, he, there are some things that Paul will mention that are really profound, and you mention it in one verse, one time, and you never hear it again. And you have to say, well, how do I tie that in with what he's thinking elsewhere? In this one, he said it at least 50,000 different ways in, in one chapter, right? Why is it so important to him? The answer has several parts. First, he had come out of the legalistic system which ruled the life of a Pharisee. And hence, because it ruled the life of the Pharisee, it ruled everybody else in Israel, okay? The Pharisees were the finger pointers. I'm doing this, you're not, you need to grow up, right? Okay, so he saw how it completely corrupted the already complex system of the law to, point, to the point that it became a crushing burden on the people. Jesus personally spoke about their conduct time and time again. Remember, he'd call out the Pharisees and the Sadducees all the time for putting these burdens on the people. Thus, Paul understood that legalism is destructive to the individual and displeasing to the Lord. Jesus was displeased with their legalism. They added even onto the law. How much worse is it adding onto the grace of Jesus Christ when he is the fulfillment of the law? 
Think about that now. Because when you go to a church that is legalistic and says you shouldn't uh, be eating pork or that you should be wearing a long skirt or you should have your hair up in a bun or anything the Bible doesn't speak about, you're adding to the grace of Jesus Christ. No dancing, folks. When you do that, if Jesus stood right there in Israel and said, you put these burdens on these people, right? And he condemned them for it. He was very strong in that, okay? And he is the law standing there, the embodiment of the law, standing there in front of them. And now he gives his life in fulfillment of that law. And what do we do with that grace? We add in more laws. Do you think that's pleasing to him? It can't be. If he was angry at the people of Israel for doing it to the law, which only pointed to him, how much more upset must he be when we take and add to his grace something that isn't grace? Don't do this and don't do that, or you need to do that. Okay, got to go to church three times a week or you're going to go to heck. I mean, all of these things that we do, which have absolutely nothing to do with what the Bible says, that must be something that he is very upset about. Don't do that. Okay, so he says, um, secondly, adding to God's mandates through legalism invariably leads either to feelings of self-righteousness by those who impose them or to feelings of worthlessness to those on whom they are imposed, but who fail at meeting a requirement, which is actually no requirement at all, right? See that? And that's what Jesus condemned them about. He said, now they sit in Moses' seat, so you have to do everything that they, they say and do, right? Because they're the ones that are making these decisions. But here we are in churches and we act like we're sitting in Moses' seat, adding in laws, adding in laws. And then people can't meet their demands because they're insane to begin with. And what do they do? They feel worthless and they stop going to church and they feel condemned. And so they say, well, I'm not. It's a terrible cycle. It's said it last week. I have to repeat it again. People that detract from the word of God and they say, oh, homosexuality is okay, are no worse than the people that add in legalism to the word of God. When you do one or the other, you are destroying the word of God. You're absolutely manipulating it for whatever reason, through a lack of knowledge, where you shouldn't be teaching if you are, or for perverse gain, or for whatever other reason, you are destroying the word of God by doing those things. Don't take away from it. Don't add to it. Okay? So, let's see here. Uh, worthlessness. And the opposite, liberalism, or the setting aside of God's mandates, like I just said about homosexuality, invariably leads to immorality, license and a weak and ineffective gospel message one so watered down that it actually makes no change in the life or conduct of the one who hears it that is what taking from the word of god does people no longer have any life in them at all all right they, they're just they're exactly the way they would have been the week before when they supposedly didn't know jesus now they know jesus and they're doing the same thing because they say it's okay absolutely not finally as the Lord's spokesperson for doctrine during the church age, his words are to be taken as the inspired word of God. This is Paul that I'm speaking about. Because they are, just like any other time in redemptive history, we are not to add to nor take away from what God prescribes. Do not do it. And so when you go to a church and they say that you have to do this and you have to do that, and you say that's not in the Bible, and they say, well, you need to do it anyway, I would leave that church okay it's fine if somebody says you need to wear a skirt into this church why because this is what we want for proper order in this church fine that's your church do whatever you want but if you say you must do it in order to blah 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 
you have departed. You have added to the word of God. There's a difference. I mean, if some churches want to have some things a certain way, that's their right to do it. But if they are saying that that is something that is necessary, I'd get out of that church. Got that? Okay, there we go. So adding or subtracting is directly tittle or Oh, absolutely. It's like you were changing. You were changing it. This word is God's word. It is set, it is fixed, and we are to adhere to it. And when you add to it a jot or a tittle, it is no longer God's word. It's God's word with your jot or tittle, or minus your jot or tittle. Yes. Well, in the book of Revelation, there is, it says that uh, people will debate, is that speaking only of the book of Revelation or is it speaking of the whole counsel of God? But there are the same curses in the law. Joshua says it. Moses says it. Do not add to this word. Do not subtract from this word. Okay. I would say that it applies to the whole word of God. Okay. It, it doesn't explicitly say that about Paul's letters unless you take that statement in Revelation and say that's speaking of the whole word of God. Okay, it does say it in Revelation, probably about Revelation. It does say it in Deuteronomy about the law. It does say it in Joshua about the law. Okay, however, it doesn't say it about Paul's writings, but it can be inferred because of what Paul says. Other words, all scripture is God breathed, blah, blah, blah. So it, it, it is inferred, but unless you say that what it is said in Revelation is applying to the whole word, then it's only revelation and it doesn't say it explicitly okay i'm not going to argue that one way or another john wrote what he wrote it's the last book of the bible it certainly pertains to the book of revelation but the precept pertains to the whole word of god i just i i know i spent a little time on that but i want you to be clear what it says in revelation may or may not be written about the whole bible but the precept is about the whole bible one way or another okay everybody you can infer that from paul's generalized statements about the word of god we are not to add to it we are not to subtract from it okay and uh, peter i think says the same basic sentiment as well so um here we go um let's see here uh, oh yeah adding to god's mandate okay finally as the lord's spokesperson for doctrine during the church age his words, this is Paul, his words are to be taken as the inspired word of God, which is what she's just talking about there, and I was responding. Because they are, just like any other time in redemptive history, we are not to add to nor take away from what God prescribes. We're not to do that, okay? This is the word of God. It is to be held fast as the word of God. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6 sums this up quite well. Let me take you to uh, Proverbs 30, okay? Uh, where am I? Oh, yeah, Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Why did I pick that? I'm thinking of a different verse right now that I know is great. Um, okay, yeah, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Okay, there you go. That's a perfect summary of it. It is in the books of wisdom. The books of wisdom apply at all times all times. They are something when when you read the Psalms, it's not, oh, that applies only to the people under the law. You can read the Psalms and be uplifted and encouraged by the Psalms just as much as David when he wrote them, okay, or whatever. The books of the book of Proverbs are general guidelines for people. It doesn't matter what dispensation you're in. You read the book of Proverbs and you are going to get benefit from it. The one that came to 30 verses 5 and 6. Yeah, and then there's another one which I want to read you because um, it came to mind. It's probably not saying exactly what I want, but it's wonderful. Uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. That's it. 
are everything. That is it. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Marvelous words. The precept is there throughout the Bible. Even if it's not explicitly said about, you know, certain parts of the New Testament, the precept is very clear. Do not add to, do not subtract from the word of God. Okay. Um, now, that will bring people into their own legalistic ideas about which version of the Bible is correct, okay? And it becomes a giant debate, and I have to tell you what, it is not a debate that we're going to get into tonight, okay? It is a bad debate. He wrote this before any of those. He wrote that before any of those, and that one in particular that people always cite as the inspired word of God does not match what he wrote in the Hebrew and in the Greek so many times that it's almost embarrassing. People say, well, this is the only infallible word of God and all the others are no good. I'm going to tell you what, it is a mediocre translation. Mediocre. That's all there is to it. So you do whatever you want with that. Be angry at me, but do your studying. And I've got all of the errors of that particular version on one of my pages on a website. Nobody ever reads it. All they do is say, well, you're a heretic and they never talk to you again. Whatever. That's fine. All right. When you can refute every one of those, and there's probably 20 of them, 30 of them already in the book of Hebrews, and I'm only in chapter three. It is it is a good translation, just like all of them are, but it was done by man. Okay. It's done by man. Well, uh, there's, there's all in that translation you're talking about says the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man. That's duty. right. The so whole I, duty. I like that translation. Of, of, oh, yeah, absolutely. It says all. The word probably is whole in the Hebrew, but... How do you translate that? Whole duty is probably much better than saying this is man's all. What, is, what does that mean? Right? So you're right. The whole duty of man. There you go. Once again, translations, translators are not scholars. They take words and they translate them into ideas. Okay? Or they translate them directly. And sometimes they make mistakes. Okay? This is what happens. And that's why even the King James Version itself says in their preface, the original preface, read many translations because one might be right and the other one might be wrong. And then they go through and they refute every single silly argument about King James Olneyism in their preface, which they will not even read. In their preface. I've read it to you before. You know what it says. It's been removed. Yeah, which has been removed from modern Bibles because it refutes every one of them and because it is very, very profitable to have a public domain translation of the Bible and to, to print it. You don't have any royalties. And so every Bible you sell is 100% profit. And so when they do that and they say, this is the only value, you know, he went and he got a King James Version Bible. Listen to what happened to him. He sent it to the guy and he said, or he called him to have it done. He says, I want to have this um, bound in uh, sheepskin, right? Sheepskin. They said, oh, no, you can't use that one. You have to use our King James Bible. It's the King James Bible. They said, no, no, because they make the money off of that. Absolutely nuts. Or no, I mixed two things, didn't I? One was, you need our translation. And then the other guy says, I won't put a sheepskin on anything but the King James Version. But based on the one. That's the old King James. I had the 87 edition. Right. And word changes. Right. And he says, no, that's not a valid translation. It's not, even though it clears up the errors that are in theirs, right? Okay. Anyway, let's not get into that because we could go on with that for two hours and just begin. Just begin. Okay, so we'll go on. Um, <clears throat> when man interferes in what belongs to God alone, he becomes an usurper of God's right to rule and his authority over his creatures. I'll read that again. 
what man when man interferes in what belongs to God alone, which is this word, when we interfere in it, he that man becomes an usurper of God's right to rule and his authority over his creatures. We're saying we can do it better than you. I know better than you. Think of it. What a slap in the face of God to decide that we knew no better than he does. Okay? Because of these and certainly many other valid points. He says, for he who serves Christ in these things, that's Paul's words, for he who serves Christ in these things. One, acceptable to God. Christ is God's standard for humanity. He is our example and he is our guide. Our religious duties are to him. Therefore, when we serve him as rightly instructed, the inevitable result is that God accepts our conduct. Anybody disagree with that? He's our, he's our ruling guide if we emulate him. He has to accept us, right? Because that's the example for us to follow, all right? He gave the instructions and he gave the son whom we are to serve. Two, Paul says, approved by men. Those who see our conduct and understand our relationship with Christ will approve our actions in that capacity. Although this section here is dealing with our acceptance of others' actions within the faith, meaning food and days of the week, etc., this doesn't necessarily mean that those who see and approve will all be Christians. But even those who aren't will be able to say he's a good example of the faith that he professes. Doesn't that make you feel good when somebody says that to you? Say, boy, you're, you're a really good Christian, right? Now, what really bothers me is when somebody says to you, well, you're not a very good Christian when they're not even a Christian. So now they're just making up the standard and they're imposing it on you. And you hear that, especially from politicians all the time, but yeah. you hear it in other circles as well. Well, you're not a very good Christian. Well, what does that mean? You tell me now. Don't let them get away with that. Yeah. Put it back on them and say, you tell me what that means. So ask them the simplest, most basic question of Christianity. Can you tell me what atonement means? No. Well, then why should I listen to you about how I am as a Christian? You have no idea what this book says. You don't know the most basic tenet of doctrine, what atonement is. And you are telling me that I don't make a good Christian? How do you know? Loser. Okay. <laughs> so um, he's a good example of the faith he professes. That's somebody that compliments you. How many times does a person look at a Christian and say, if that guy is an example of being a Christian, then I want nothing to do with Christianity. And why? Because they are either adding to what God expects through legalism, look at that self-righteous jerk, or failing to act properly through a watered-down liberal faith. Look at the perverted things that that Christian does, okay? I'm not saying that we as Christians won't make mistakes and people say, well, look at those Christians. Well, guess what? I'm not being a good example today, am I? I probably wasn't being a good example when I said loser. But I wasn't <laughs> saying it to somebody in particular. I was just making a, a joke, which you all seem to get. So anyway... <clears throat> No, you took it the way I meant it. Okay, there you go. So, uh, yeah, one way or another, if you say that guy's self-righteous and I don't want anything to do with Christians, well, he's not a good Christian anyway, or a good example of a Christian, and vice versa. Look at that guy's doing things that, you know, they wouldn't do in San Francisco Bar, right? And they say, well, I don't want to be like that. Well, he's not doing what the Bible says. One way or another, they are not being acceptable. How many times do we hear this one? Well, the Catholics killed all of the, uh, you know, they did the Crusades. And they blame us for that, like that is the example of Christianity, when it has nothing to do with Christianity. It's absolutely nothing. So how do you defend against that? The only thing you can do is say, that's not what the Bible teaches, right? Kill a Jew and save your soul. 
That's what they said as they marched down to the Crusades to kill Muslims. On the way, you find a Jew, kill him, and you save your soul. Tell me where that is in scripture. But people hear that kind of stuff, and then they ascribe right. what happened in the Catholic Church for 1,500 <laughs> years to all Christians. Okay? It doesn't work that way. So you have to be prepared to defend against those type of things because they are out there. And I'm sure most of you have heard it at one time or another. So um, let's see here. Um, our adherence to God's laws reflect on the one we profess to serve. Okay? If another maligns our Lord when we are faithfully obedient, then he will judge that person. But if someone maligns our Lord when we act unfaithfully, he will certainly judge us. Isn't that right? You think of it. If, if somebody is maligning somebody improperly, God's going to judge them. But that's not my word. I never said that. And you malign somebody because of it. You think he's going to take it the opposite and say, oh, I'm not going to hold that against you. When we bring discredit upon the Lord, guess what we're doing? We're bringing discredit upon the Lord. Okay, there you go. Life application. We serve an infinitely wise God. What he ordains is right, whether we personally accept a premise or not. Okay, I bring up premises all the time that people don't want to hear from the Bible. I bring them up once a month or twice a month, and people don't want to hear those things. But that is not our problem. Our issue is to be obedient to those precepts, regardless. As I tell people when they argue, I don't like that. I say, I didn't write it. I didn't write it. All I do, yeah, talk to him about it. That is in his word. If you don't like what that precept says, you take it up with him. I did not write it. All I'm going to do is when I get to that verse, I'm going to explain it. I'm going to explain it in the context that it asks for. And that's what every person here should say. This is the context. This is what it says. I didn't write it. Take it or leave it. Okay? Take it up with him. All right. So uh, we may have a conscience about eating meat, but that is our problem, not his. Our conduct towards other Christians is to be in light of God's word, not our own pet peeves. And speaking of meat, I got a whole bunch of uh, whips, uh, Slim Jim type of things in back. They're really good. If they're not all gone after Sunday, they're going to my house. Okay. I, I, I opened some. Some lady gave them to me at the uh, mall I take care of, about 10 packages of them, and they're they're really good. So if you like Slim Jim type of stuff, there's some back there. But um, uh, if you have a problem with eating meat, that is your problem. It's not mine. Okay, so here we go. And this certainly reflects on our relationship with the Lord. And those who view us from outside the faith are making value judgments on the Christian faith and thus on Christ. Because of our individual actions, they're making value judgments about Christ. Okay, let us remember this and act accordingly. All right. Yes. Nice and loud. This sort of goes along with this. D.L. Moody's going down the street, and this guy comes staggering out of the bar. Oh, you're the preacher that saved me. He said, yeah, I probably did, because the Lord sure didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. There you go. See, that's why I like Burke. He sends out all these emails, and they always have some fun thing in them. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fourteen, nineteen. Go ahead. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Okay, that's pretty close. Therefore, let us pursue things which make for peace and the things which one may edify another. Kind of close. All right, and yet again, Paul begins with therefore. This is actually a combination of two conjunctions, which mean so then. 
As always, such a statement requires a review of the previous thoughts for the sake of proper context. Going back to verse 14 is enough to get a good hold on this, therefore. So he started today with verse 13. We've heard it, so I'm not going to go back and read it again. But, um, oh yeah, I am, because I put it in here. I might as well read it. I know and am convinced that the Lord Jesus, it, by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is, is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, that's the therefore. If there is nothing in, unclean in and of itself, but the conscience can make something unclean, then the conscience needs to remain undefiled. This is because anything which is not of faith is sin. sin. Thank you. If we cause someone to work <laughs> against their conscience in a disputable matter, we cause them to sin, and we have become the cause of their sin. What Christ allows should never be brought to this state because the kingdom of God, Paul says, is not eating and drinking. How clear Paul is, how easily we dismiss what Paul says. Instead of robbing a fellow of a clear conscience over such trivial matters, instead, Paul says, let us pursue the things which make for peace. The concept of pursuing is an ongoing process. You don't just pursue and stop. When you pursue, you pursue, you pursue, okay? It's ongoing. We don't just pursue until we reach a set point and then give up. Instead, we keep on pursuing, never tiring of chasing after those things which make for peace. And the things which make for peace can be considered under two broad categories. One, ensuring that those things which are prescribed in Scripture are accomplished. In other words, pursuing proper doctrine. Doctrine is something that is prescribed, right? Conscience is not a consideration in this instance. God speaks, we obey. Everybody got that? If something is prescribed, conscience is not an issue. He said to do it. It doesn't matter what you think. It is irrelevant. You do it. So there's no conscience involved. Got that? Prescription means conscience is out. Two, ensuring that the things which are doubtful are not improperly handled as if they were prescribed. God didn't prescribe that. He did not prescribe that you were to not eat. What is it that they don't eat in Catholic churches on Friday? Fish? Or they do eat fish? They do. Oh, they don't eat meat, but they eat fish. That's good. Well, whatever. It's not in the Bible, right? It's not in the Bible. Okay. Good Friday. Okay. But there are other, aren't there other days? It used to be. He says it used to be every Friday. Okay. That's right. Okay. But regardless, regardless, it doesn't matter. It is not in the Bible. Okay. And that's the point that's being made. I'm going to read it again. Ensuring that the things which are doubtful are not improperly handled as if they were prescribed. Well, you're eating meat on Friday. The Vatican said that don't do that. Well, guess what? That's sin. You're causing somebody to sin because it's not in the Bible in the first place, and you're imposing it on them, and now their conscience is defiled. Okay, so i got to just ask you a question. When you grew up and you, they were told you you couldn't eat meat on Friday, did they say if you did it, you would be sinning? Yes. No, oh, there you go. See, here's an old Catholic here, an old one. <laughs> That's okay. There are people older than him in here, so they're all sweating even more. 
Okay. Or actually, I am because I'm going to have my mom yelling at me. But okay. So here we go. Let's see here. Yeah. Okay. Prescribed. If the Bible makes no prescriptive statement on the matter, there's no prescriptive statement, then let others pursue it according to their conscience. So you see, if it's prescribed, do it or don't do it. Whatever. If Paul says, don't do this thing, don't do it. There's no conscience involved. If there is something that we have the right to do, it's not prescribed, and that person is doing it, leave them alone. If it's not forbidden and if it's not mandated, let them go. Okay? Sorry, conscience. Would, yes. Would the scripture that says, be not filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, is that prescriptive? Yeah, absolutely. Is prescriptive? Absolutely. Be not filled with wine, but with the Holy Spirit. What does filled mean? It means being drunk. Right. Okay. It says nothing about drinking. Zero. Yes, absolutely. Being filled with something means that you are filled with it. Okay. So people use that verse and they say, see, you shouldn't be drinking. That has nothing to do with it at all because then Jesus should not have been making wine for his first miracle. He shouldn't have drank wine at the Passover. He should blah, blah, blah. It has nothing to do with it. Okay. The only verse that I have ever heard people actually use in a sermon for not drinking takes you back to Proverbs where it says, look at this guy that's drinking and he he's like a ship on the ocean and it's like this. And he says, he wakes up and he says, I can't wait to have another drink, right? That's a person that's drunk. If you take those words, and I'm just saying, take those words and put in whatever sin that you want in place of wine, right. put beautiful woman there. Just, I'm not telling you to change the word of God. I'm saying take the precept and add in beautiful woman. He is with a beautiful woman until he is drunk with her and he's like a ship. And the next day, I can't wait till I wake up and have another beautiful woman. It doesn't matter what sin you put in there. It will always make the same sense. Okay. And yet it's okay to have a beautiful woman. I've got one right over there. Right. So there's nothing. Oh, he's got one too. Singular. Singular. Yeah, I've got one. Anyway, so there you go. But you see the point? The point of that passage there is completely abused when pastors say, see, you shouldn't be drinking. Because it has nothing to do with the point that they're making. The point is not to be drunk. And yet they say, don't drink at all. Well, gee whiz, how do you have kids if you're not to, you know? Okay. Okay. So that's take things and look at them logically. Always look at them logically and look at them in the intended context. He's talking about somebody that's a drunk and wants to get up and get drunk again to the point where he's sloshing around. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with wine. Yes, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. And how do we do that? By thanking God, by praising God, by fellowshipping with God, by being in his word. That's how we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It is not active, it is passive. He says it, be filled with the Holy Hang on a second here. Let me read this to you. This is gonna take a second, so uh, let me get this. All right, so I'm gonna take you to, uh, yes, they're right there. Hang on now. Oh. Now I've got to go back to another one, too, because I've got to... Um, does anybody know that verse right offhand? Yes, Burke. Yeah, Burke, do you know that verse right offhand? <laughs> Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians uh, 5.18, isn't it? I don't know. You tell me. Turn there and tell me, because if so, then you'll save me a little bit of time. Five eight. It's probably, and he's probably right, because he makes me angry with the way... He... With it is 5.18. Okay. Uh, 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 Be filled with the Spirit. Uh, do not uh, get drunk with wine. Well, that's not the one I wanted. Be filled, but be filled with the okay, well, be filled with the... Let me, let me uh, get the one that I was thinking of. Hang on just a second here. Filled. Um, all right. Another one that says we're supposed to be... Okay, well, Ephesians 5.18. Give me just a second here. Um, let me let me just go there. Um, all right. Just because we're talking about this, and I want to... I want to... Hang on. Ephesians E-P-H-5-5-18. 
Okay, I know I'm slow. iPad stuff is it's way too technical for and me. Would that but, be drunk with wine, um, which is dispensation? Dis but being filled with the spirit? Uh, yeah. Why isn't this coming? I don't know why this isn't coming up now. Hang on. Uh, yes, and that's what I'm looking up, but for some reason my iPad is completely stopped and I don't know why. Okay, we're just going to have to do that some other time because this thing is completely locked up, which just shows you how I did. Okay, anyway, um, it's passive in the Greek. That's what I was going to take you. It was going to take you through the uh, passage itself because he says it a couple times, be filled with the Spirit, be filled with, you know, he says it in a couple different ways, and I wanted to make sure, but okay. Uh, it, okay, so we're going to go on because, and I'll get that next week unless I can get this thing to work. Um, where were we? Life application, not yet. Um, uh, we're still in 19. Oh, yeah, I read you the two things, things that are prescribed, things that are doubtful. Okay, adhering to these two broad categories will certainly make for peace. Okay, and at the same time, they will allow the things by which one may edify another. Okay, to edify means to build up. One cannot be built up in the faith if they are allowed to violate something prescribed by God. You can't do it. You can't build somebody up in the faith if you are telling them to do something which is not according to the Word of God. It is impossible. It is not possible. Okay, what I was going to tell you based on uh, Ephesians 5, 16, 18 um, is uh, I, I got off my track there and be, because of my stupid iPad. You are passively filled with the Spirit. I know I've said this a million times, but people still need to hear it. What that means is that God does not actively fill you with the Spirit. You... You have a cup here and you have a bottle of wine over here, right? Is that cup going to fill itself? No. no. When somebody grabs that bottle of wine and they fill the wine, the cup, the cup is doing nothing. The cup is being filled, okay? That is what, when it says be filled with the Spirit. Here's the example. I married to Hedico Garrett. I am never going to get more married than I am right now. It's not going to happen. I can't say I'm going to marry you again because we're already married. But she can get more of me as I yield to her, and I can get more of her as she yields to me. That is a passive action on one part. It is active on the other. I'm yielding. The Spirit comes in. Okay, it is passive. It's not active. We don't grab the Spirit and shove him into us. Okay, he comes in through our obedience, through our worship, through our praise, through our meditating on the Word. I'm loving this audio Bible. I'm up to... Uh, uh, Numbers chapter 9, I, when I pulled up here today. And I, I drive a couple miles a day. And I'm at Numbers 9, and I've had the thing for three weeks. And one week, I took off three days to listen to a CD that somebody sent me. Okay? Oh, by the way, I was looking at thank you, Arlene. Stop. I got a shirt, and I forgot to uh, wear it. I had it put in my Bible place, and for the past two weeks, I didn't wear it. But What's Starfleet Academy? I'm in Starfleet Academy. She made me in Starfleet. Unfortunately, it's in San Francisco on Earth. Yeah, but well, anyway. No, Starfleet, you know, if you're a Trekkie, you'd know what it is. Oh, yeah, okay. It. I'm a Trekkie. I like Star Trek. So I, I'm, I'm a commissioned person to go to the uh, Starfleet Academy. Oh. Anyway, I, I just realized that when I looked down. So sorry for the uh, whatever. Okay, passive filling of the Holy Spirit. And now we can get back into this. I told you what edify means. It means to be built up. Likewise, one cannot be built up in the faith if they are coerced to act against their conscience in a matter which is not prescribed in Scripture can't be built up in the faith that way. The goal for Christians is harmonious living within God's standard. Not finger pointing, not backbiting, not gossiping, not personal vendettas or unauthorized judgments. Okay, those things are not going to build up anybody. They're only going to tear down. As noted in previous verses, Paul has discussed this matter for the entirety of Romans chapter 14 so far. 
This should be so immensely clear that we should never miss this point. He has come at it from every angle imaginable, and sometimes with repetition. Let us keep our fingers out of the lives of others in disputable matters, and yet we fail. I saw one uh, 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 post today, a picture of somebody in a church, right? And it, it was just a little caption, and somebody got on there and was just tearing people apart. They're not real Christians, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, she's looking at a picture, and she's making judgments on 100 people sitting in this thing, right? I, it's just absolutely crazy. Whatever. Okay, knowing the Bible and properly applying it will keep us from sinning against our fellow believers, and it will keep us from being the cause of sin in them. Now, if you have, here's a good example. If you have a picture of Joel Steen's church, and there's 30,000 people in there, right? You say, oh, they're not Christians. They're in, how do you know? You know, you don't know what they believe. You have no idea what they believe. They're not getting good doctrine. I'll assure you of that. I can absolutely assure you of that, but you have no idea if they're Christians or not. And that's exactly what this person was doing with some church out there. They, they're not Christians. They're all going to hell. And like, just you know, stupid, just stupid comments, tearing people apart, backbiting, finger pointing on and on. Exactly what this commentary here says. It's nauseous. You know what? What you need to do is tell people, don't go to that church. If you want good doctrine, go somewhere else. Right. Listen to this, whatever. Just tearing people apart like that is just stupid. And that doesn't do anybody any good. Right. I can tell you that if you're in the Jehovah's Witnesses, you are not getting good doctrine. And yet I will bet you that there are saved people sitting in the Jehovah's Witness because they got saved in a Presbyterian church when they were seven. A good pastor was in there. They received Jesus Christ. They're as saved as they're ever going to be. And then what happens? Another crummy pastor comes in. He starts and this guy's like, I'm out of here. And he doesn't go to church for 20 years, hasn't lost his salvation. But guess what? Can I tell you about, you know, Jesus? Well, I was in a church years ago. Well, you didn't get the right message. I had never seen in my life ever anybody open a Bible in a church. Remember the church I grew up in? Did they ever open the Bible? Never. So guess where I went after I met the Lord? The place that they opened the Bible, the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was in there for three months and I realized this is insane. It didn't, add, it didn't match at all what I was reading because I was reading this once a week, right? Wow. But I was saved and I was in a Jehovah's Witness church. How do you know what that person is in that church? What you need to do is tell them what is correct, not tear them apart. All you're going to do when you tear somebody apart like that, you know what you're going to do? You're going to make them stay in the Jehovah's Witness church. That's what you're going to do. They're going to spend the rest of their life in that church because you are an offensive person. That's what's going to happen. Okay. We also touched on it earlier. Whenever you're doing that, here's somebody who's sitting on the fence or maybe stuff like that. And they're going like, I don't want to be like that guy. I don't want to be anything like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Finger point city. It's it's poison. Absolutely. Okay, so um, the entirety of uh, Romans uh, um, 14, he's been speaking about this. So I said, let us keep our fingers out of the lives in, of others in disputable matters, and yet we fail. Knowing the Bible and properly applying it will keep us from sinning against our fellow believers, and it will keep us from being the cause of sin in them. Disputable? Let it go. Let it go. Okay. Life application. Romans 14 asks us time and again to know our Bible. doesn't say it explicitly, but it says it implicitly in every single verse, doesn't it? Why? Because we cannot make right judgments on disputable matters unless we know what are and what are not disputable matters. So Paul's words to us, absolutely every single verse tell us you need to know this book. 
because if you don't, you can't do what he's telling you to do right here, okay? We therefore sin when we don't read, study, and remember our Bible. It's really that simple. And I don't remember the Bible all the time. That's why I read it all the time. My memory is about this long. Uh, it's true. I'm telling you, I will get back through the Bible and I'll think, you know what? I just don't remember reading that before. I, it is, this is the biggest, most complex manual on the face of the planet. I don't care what Lockheed has developed in their rockets. It ain't nothing like this book here. You need to read it and you need to read it and you need to think about it because every time you read it, something is coming at you another direction. You think, I didn't. It's like Hebrews, right? I was talking about Hebrews 3 today. I had no idea. But I know that it's not has anything to do with salvation. So I sit down, I read all the Greek words, and I look at the tenses, and then I think, well, who is he talking about here? I read all these commentaries, and I say, that's not correct. I know it's not correct. Why? And you have to take it, and you have to put it into a hole, and you have to think about it. And eventually you say, exactly. It all makes sense. And then the next time, someday I'll do a commentary on Hebrews again, and I'll say, boy, I've added on to that. I, you just keep adding on. Just keep thinking it through a little more every time. Yeah, it's just what you got to do. Okay, 1420. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything because causes someone else to stumble. Why is he talking about food all of a sudden? I mean, he's been talking about this now. He says it again. This is like the 22nd time in 20 verses he said it. He keeps saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it. Okay, 1420. Do not destroy the work of God. What is the work of God? This person got saved. My son went into the stream of humanity. He died on the cross so that this person could be saved. And you are destroying the work of God with your judgmental attitude. That's what he's saying. Do not destroy the work of God. It is the work of God in Christ Jesus, fulfilling the law and its requirements so that we can live in newness of the spirit. That is the work of God that he's referring to. Jesus Christ is now building a temple with his followers as living stones in that building. Anybody know what, what, who wrote that? We are living stones? That's Ephesians 2. Okay, it's also in Peter. Peter. Okay, Peter, there you go. Uh, living stones in the building. We are being built into a building. The word Paul uses for destroy signifies to tear, tear down a structure. We're being built up as living stones. And he says, don't destroy. Don't tear down this structure. Okay. When we use something such as dietary restrictions, which have been set aside in Christ, we know that, as a standard of judgment towards others, we, in essence, tear down portions of his temple. We either make believers ineffective or we keep people from becoming believers. Who would want to participate in a legalistic, finger-pointing religion? Exactly what he said a minute ago. And so, for the sake of food, Paul says, for the sake of food, we sin against our fellow man and diminish the glory of the Lord and the work of God in others' eyes. What a terrible price to pay over something which isn't even prescribed in his word. And this is absolutely certain because Paul conti conti continues with, indeed, all things are pure. That statement could not be any clearer. He was talking about foods, and then even in the exact same verse, he makes this proclamation. Let me read it again for you. It says here, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, right? All things indeed are pure. Did he suddenly just change over to a different subject? Absolutely not. He's speaking about food. 
all things indeed are pure. How you can take this verse, which is speaking of this, and then say all things are pure and say, well, that's not speaking about pork chops, right? That's what churches all over the world do. They do it all over the world. All things indeed are pure. God has cleansed these things, okay? Where was I now? We're in verse 14, 20. Um, okay, it's talking about foods in the same verse. He makes the proclamation, and yet there are denominations by the score who put up unscriptural burdens on their followers. Don't eat, don't touch. Instead of God's word as the standard, they promote their agenda. Instead of the freedom which is found in Christ, there is bondage and harsh rule. And because of a mishandling of the word, the result then is that it becomes, as Paul says, evil for the man who eats with offense. If a Christian is told that drinking soda is wrong, and then another Christian says that drinking soda is fine, there's now a dilemma in his mind, right? But that's, I was in, my children used to take violin lessons out at the Seventh-day Adventist, and that's what they taught. You have to be there on Saturday. You, you can't eat meat. No sodas for you. They went all kind. They had all they had a shopping list of stuff they weren't to do. Now we weren't attending that church, but you know I just knew what they taught because that's the guy had his violin violin lessons out there, and he was a Seventh Day Adventist. Okay, so the dilemma is now in this person's mind: which do I believe? If they go ahead and drink soda when they feel it may be wrong, they now have committed evil because they are consuming the soda. A soda with a guilty conscience. Now, there are people that drink a soda with a guilty conscience because they think they're gonna get fat. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, okay? I had a Coke today. She walked in and she said, Charlie, what do you want? Do you want a Coke? Do you want a Diet Coke? Or do you want some other type of Coke? And I'm like, there's only one Coke, okay? Bring me the Coke. Uh, but some people will, that has nothing to do with what he's speaking about. He's speaking about religion. Don't drink soda because, it has nothing to do with it, okay? So, um, and anyway, I try not to ever drink Coke because, you know, they went through the LGBT thing oh, yeah. and I said I wasn't going to drink any Coke anymore, but that's all they had in the restaurant. So you got to drink something. Okay. So anyway, but I won't, she won't go out and buy me Coke. She used to buy a case of Coke for me and I drink one a day, every day. And we haven't had Coke in that house since then. We do not buy it. But if that's all they have at the, you know, they had that or it was the German restaurant. So they have all kinds of schnapps and stuff. I said, <laughs> no, 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 no. All I want is just something to drink, either water or, she said, how about a Coke? I said, I'll have a Coke. So yes, but no, I don't go out and buy that all the time. Anyway, um, here we go. Um, uh, where Oh, so, uh, drinking soda. Okay, if they go ahead and drink the soda, when they feel it might be wrong, they have now committed evil because they are consuming soda with a guilty conscience. That's where I left off. This is the sad state of the neurotic believer who is swayed by every form of doctrine which blows their way. They're, they actually sin through their own lack of knowledge and their guilty conscience over a matter which is not even really an issue that ever should have arisen. Ever. And yet they're sinning because they are told one thing, they're told another, and now they have a dilemma. And well, who do I please? Right? Because they don't know their Bible. Right? That's why we're here in this study. Hopefully I am teaching you properly. If I'm not and you get home and you find that I've improperly teached you, please don't listen to what I said. Okay? My job is to teach. I will always do. You know, I realized I made a mistake in something. I'm not kidding. This was on Monday when I was sermon typing. I realize I made a mistake in something. It's really minor. I don't even want to tell you, but it was really minor. And it's something that's in one of my videos probably eons oh, ago. I'm sure we're going to know. Well, it, all I can tell you is for the rest of the day, and I was still doing it this morning, I'm saying, Lord, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I'll tell you what it is. And you're going to think, well, but it was wrong. 
I had said that um, the father of uh, John the Baptist was in the temple, okay, and he's offering the incense, and I said that he couldn't have been more than 50 years old because in the law it says that they serve from 25 until 50. He was huh? He was older, though. He was, but you don't know that because all it says is he was an old man, okay? That's it. So what's the answer to that? You said he's old. What's the answer? It says in the law that... 25 to 50 they can serve in the temple okay so what's the answer he's a priest he's not a levite okay uh, i'm not no, kidding like we're gonna I, oh, the point God. is that i am embarrassed about that mistake i have said to the lord i'm sorry so many times over something that it really isn't doctrinally doesn't matter at all but it was a mistake and i don't want to err in god's word not in the smallest little thing he was a priest that was speaking of Levites. There is no age restriction on priests. There's no age restriction on priests. Levites, priests are from the tribe of Levi, and that's where my error was. I just had it in my head that they're of Levi, okay? But I wasn't thinking the issue through is that the priestly class and the Levite class, and I really wasn't thinking of that until we were doing these sermons now. And then I said, you know what? I was wrong in that. And I, I have been saying, I think I've said it 400 times to the Lord in the past four days. I am so sorry, Lord, that I would mishandle your word like that. That's a minor thing, but it matters to me, right? That's the point. When you go home and you evaluate what you've heard, or if you're watching online or whatever, and you realize there's an error, I would like to know about it because I don't want to teach error. And I was going to go find that video wherever I said it, if it's in a video, and I was going to cut that out so it's not there anymore because I don't want to have an error that people now have something in their head that is not correct. Okay, I don't know if you can do that on YouTube videos anymore, and I don't even know which video it is, but, you know, I, I, there's, we're up to like 800 videos or something. I mean, we're on, we're on Prophecy Update 251 this coming Sunday. Imagine that, 251, and then all the sermons and all the other videos we've done. That's a lot of stuff out there. It's and a big cloud. It, it's a big cloud, and it's embarrassing <laughs> when you find out you've made a mistake. And I'm not talking about a typo. I got this one wonderful lady. I'm telling you what. She... Uh, the guy that handles the website reviews my work every day for the devotionals and he finds all the errors and then I post them. I used to, he used to do it after I posted them, but now he does it before. And so that takes care of those. Cause I got all kinds of like, you know, I'll say is, is instead of it yeah. is, and you, you can't find that your brain reads yeah. over it. He didn't type it so he can find it. And he wrote a book and I'm helping him with the same thing. He said, I never would have found that. So we're helping each other with that. But here we go. What was my point about this? Oh, yes, this girl. She's some lady. Don't want to give her name without permission, but she has been watching all of the Genesis and then the Exodus. She's going through the sermon. She doesn't stay up with us. She just started a long time ago. And she reads what I've typed along with what is on there. And anytime she finds an error, like I'll type the word uh, uh, closed and I'll say closes, you know, and I'll spell it wrong. She'll send me any. I'm so appreciative of that because I don't want somebody reading garbage. Anyway, thank you for that. I, she knows who she is if she watches this. But um, I, I just so she much appreciate that. What? She'll get to this. In a couple years. <laughs> well, she might watch these. I don't know. Or maybe she just watches the sermons. I don't know. But when she does the sermons, I'm so thankful that there are people that are willing to do that. Because it's real hard to catch your own typed no, errors. Especially if you spell check. Uh, yeah, spell check. Especially, yeah, if it's context or yes. something, it doesn't pick that yeah, up. Right. But... There you go. We're going to have to all leave because you're not perfect. Oh, yeah, boy, Charlie, boy, if you ever thought that, you had the wrong, the wrong idea. Okay, we got to go. We got 
four more minutes and I got a little more on this first. Um, okay, so um, Soda, where was I? Sad, oh yeah, okay. They sin, I'm gonna read that again. They actually sin through their own lack of knowledge and their guilty conscience over a matter which is not really an issue and that should never have arisen. Okay, that's the point. People should not be forced into something because you're causing them the sin. You're the cause of their sin, and plus they are sinning because they're not doing it in faith. Okay, life application, and we're going to have to be done. I don't think. Oh, yeah, no, we can do one more. Very short one. Life application, it is the word which prescribes what we can and cannot do. By knowing the word and understanding the work of Christ on our behalf, we will remain free from sinning against our own guilty conscience. Don't ever stop reading and learning your Bible, okay? Um, having said that, that's why I go through these table talks and there's something that I disagree and I know it's wrong. It's because I want you to know not just what's right, but if you know what's wrong, now you know why this is right, okay? That's not to belittle people. I love R.C. Sproul when he was alive, but I got to tell you what, he's wrong in these issues and they, you need to know what is wrong in order to understand why something is correct. Okay, so go ahead, 1421, and we'll be done in just a minute. It is better not to eat meat or drink Oh, don't say that. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Oh, okay, I'll agree with that. Yes. Okay. Um, is that it? Okay, well, this one's a little longer. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Okay, a little bit different there. Okay, 1421, very short comment. Again, as Paul has done on several occasions in this chapter, he gives a very short and concise and clear statement. If your brother is offended by your eating habits or by your wine drinking, then don't do them around him. Instead, that is what you have a house for. If we cause another to stumble or be offended or made weak, we have sinned against a person for whom Christ died. Is it worth causing this type of disruption in another person's life to engage in eating and drinking? No, absolutely not. The kingdom of God is not about meat and wine, but about righteousness, holiness, and glorifying God. He has given us these things during this life to enjoy, but not at the expense of fellowship and harmony within the body of believers. That's his point in there. Very short, very concise. So were my comments. Probably, you know, there, I was going on traveling somewhere that day and I had to get out a quick commentary. I don't know what, because that's very short, but I'll give you the life application and we are done. Use empathy towards those around you. Don't have a belligerent attitude over doubtful matters, but rather live at peace with those who are of the faith. We'll be spending eternity together. So why should we be fighting about these things now? Imagine that. We got to spend eternity with people that were, yes. Clifford Suter's a preacher in southeast Ohio, was sitting on his porch reading the funny paper on Sunday afternoon. And a couple came by and stopped. <coughs> and the wife said to him, you reading the funnies? That is a sin. And what? Clifford says, does that offend you? And she said, yes, it does. Well, I won't read the funnies anymore. He told us in church, that he came and spoke at the church that I was at, and he said, I haven't read the funnies since then because she was offended that I was reading that. Can you imagine that? Now that there, I think this was good. That's not even a disputable matter at all. That's, remember the example I gave you of the guy that was in baseball and he, his whole life was baseball and then he met the Lord and he just gave up baseball because he was addicted to it, it was his idol. And then these two 
professor said, well, we're going to the baseball game. You want to go? And he said, what are you talking about? How, how could you go to a baseball game? That's his problem. That has nothing to do with the fence. And that guy, he did the wrong thing by giving up the funnies. He did actually the wrong thing. He is the, the weaker in that argument. And she was the arrogant because she never should have said that yeah, in the first place. I don't care what she likes or doesn't like. Well, that makes sense because if somebody says that you have to continue doing the, um, the feasts and you have to do this stuff, it's like, okay, you say, oh, wait, I know it's not in there, but if I'm offending you, then maybe I should yeah, do it. That's where doctrine comes in. Yeah, warn like, you know, a divisive brother once, warn him a second time, and then have nothing to do with him. Absolutely. Because that person is not handling the word. You show him where it is correct and then be done with it. Oh boy. Anyway, Burke, would you close us in prayer real loud tonight? Real loud. As opposed to... So they can hear. Lord, we thank you for the teaching. Even though we're imperfect and do make mistakes, we, we thank you for Charlie and, and his teaching us what your word has to say. Thank you that you love us and that you're willing to use us sinful people. And we just thank you that you are preparing that place, or maybe it's already built, that we're going to go to one of these days. Help us to be pleasing in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, let me back this baby up here. Oh, what here if somebody confronts you at a restaurant yes. when, when you and a friend are saying... Uh, <laughs>